Well, good morning. I want to wish you an amazing new year. How's that? We're going to have a great 2021. Anybody have belief for that? Amen. Let's do that. Let's trust God for a great, great new year. I want to just encourage us this morning by having a stand. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And I'm sure, you know, as we're, go ahead, stand. We're going to pray. Uh, I'm sure as we move forward in this year, there's many things on our hearts. You know, I've been following different situations. People are telling me so-and-so has COVID, a number of people that I know have it. And I just got a a kind of an email from the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. The president, Bruce Clevenger, has COVID. He's actually in serious condition. They've, the next two days now will determine if he lives or not. So I've been praying for Bruce. I don't know him personally, but I know of him. And I've been interceding, and I'm going to have us join as a congregation and pray that God would show mercy to this great leader in our country. And uh, maybe you're here this morning and maybe listening live online here, and you have a need in your life. Let's just bring those things to God. Let's cast all of our cares on Him today. God can carry our burdens. Isn't that a beautiful thought? You know, I don't have to walk out heavy hearted like, you know, the world is doing a sin, you know, like the weight of the world is on our shoulders. I think we can take all of our concerns right now, just lift them to God. Let's just put them with God right now and open our hearts to Him, and let's let the work of God's Spirit uh, begin to lift our spirits and to recognize that God is a prayer-answering God, and He can answer in beautiful ways, even above what we could even ask, think, or imagine. And uh, I'm going to just ask God to do some amazing things this year. You know, Patty and I were just chatting at the end of 2020. She said, think of 20 things you're grateful for. It was just no problem. There's so much to be thankful for. And then we started thinking about things that we want to believe God for in 2021. Isn't that great? And so I'm sure that you have ideas in mind too, what you'd like to see God accomplish in and through your life. So let's lift our hands to God right now. Let's lift our burdens up to him. Let's just cast all our cares on him today. And Lord, we want to thank you this morning that you're a wonderful father. You're a prayer answering God. You care for all of your children. You care for every person on the planet. You care about our needs, Father. We can lift these things to you right now. You see the concerns upon the hearts of these your children, Lord. And I pray that each one, even in our hearts now, as we're crying out to you in our innermost being, as our spirit is lifting to you, may you hear that cry, Father, and may amazing answers come our way in the days ahead. And I pray for Bruce and his family right now as they're walking through a challenging moment of illness, a very serious illness right now. Uh, Different people get different degrees of COVID, and and for Bruce, Lord, he's in intensive care, and these next hours are so critical to his well-being, and I just pray that you would intervene, Father, that you would spare his life, that you would grant grace into his family, and we just thank you for that. For others, and a few in our church family who have COVID, Lord, I pray that you'd raise them up. Maybe they're milder cases, but I just pray you'd touch them. Pray for those that are battling more serious uh, terminal challenges, Lord, cancer, that we have so many people that are battling cancer, Father. We just pray right now that you will hear our cry and answer our prayer, even this season of time. And we thank you for that. And now I pray that you'd open our hearts as we hear your word being communicated to us. Lord, help us to hear what you want to say to each of us uh, individually, but also collectively. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm so happy you're here this morning. You know, I love it. People are joining live stream, but it's just great to have people here as well. You know, I remember when we first had COVID, all of a sudden the place was shut down. I was speaking to those walls. That was it. You know, how challenging was that? You know, many people consider that they're making up their own mind. Isn't that true? We all think that we're, you know, people that are self-determining if I can use those terminology. But the sad reality is that so much of the outward pressures and relationships are often shaping our values and our decisions. Isn't that true? I mean, we're all making decisions. Every day, you and I make a whole bunch of decisions, and those decisions are determined by our values, the things that we think are important to us and those we love, and people around us are affecting us and shaping our lives. And I, I believe that they, they impact the direction of our lives. 
And the sphere of influence in this time has dramatically increased. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Can you imagine living 100 years ago? There was no internet, no television. You know, uh, movies were just starting. I mean, go back 200 years. They didn't have movies. Maybe they had a theater. Most people didn't attend them. And so people had limited access to availability of news and information. So they had a limited sphere of influence. Can you see that? But now we're living in a day that we've never been so bombarded by so much information, so rapidly, and with social media today, I mean, it's instantaneous, and we have everybody's ideas out there. Isn't that true? And it's just coming at us, you know, in just great intensity today. And you get into a time like where we're in, this pandemic time and this a time of crisis, and then everybody's got a viewpoint, and every decision is being analyzed and scrutinized, and we're so used to that now, and it's impacting and affecting us in a powerful way. I, I see it. I see what's happening inside of people. I see the fear in people. I see the agitation, the frustration, the anger. You know, People are all over the map emotionally, and it just seems like we're more ramped up than we've ever been before. I want you to think of uh, things like the arts today. You know, think of movies, music, as I already mentioned, social media. These are all impacting us and shaping our values. And I think the internet, by, by the, like right now, is so powerful, such a powerful agency that it's affecting us in ways we cannot believe. And actually, they, they have it so that they can set it up so that whatever you go to yeah, the, inf- the information now is fed back to us, and so whatever you have an interest in, it just keeps feeding that same interest. It's actually, you know, we, we'll, there's a terminology called cognitive bias, and we develop cognitive biases, which means that we have a certain mindset, and all the information coming to us just keeps reinforcing our biases. And anytime we have information that's counter to our bias, we dismiss it. Isn't that amazing? You know, we're, we're not, we are becoming more closed-minded and less open-minded all the time as a culture. And that's true of everybody. That doesn't matter if you're a conservative or a liberal or if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. People are really becoming closed-minded. They're getting locked into a certain worldview, just zeroing in on this. Now, I want to just really focus in on how powerful and how uh, subconsciously we don't even realize this is happening to us. And I'll, and I'll give you an example. Like, you know, this is Christmas time. How many know uh, at home, I'm watching uh, a Hallmark movie, right? Rated G, Christmas. How many, how many, be honest, how many here, you probably saw a Christmas movie, Hallmark Christmas movie, rated G. Anybody watch some of that? Okay, so some of you saw that. And, you know, when you, when you have a rated G, you think, well, this, my, this is going to be totally innocuous. It's going to be nothing damaging. There's going to be nothing in this that's going to be really bad, right? But I, I noticed something. We were watching a number of them, and I, I kept noticing a certain theme that came across in every single movie. And there was a line in every movie, and it went something like this. The advice is given somewhere in the midst of the key part of the story, just follow your heart. Anybody ever heard that advice before? Just follow your heart. You know, wherever your heart tells you, go, go with that, you know? Isn't that true? And yet, what does the Scriptures teach us about the heart? Well, Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So if you and I are just going to follow our hearts, that may lead us to the wrong decision. And yet we, we're just kind of indiscriminate. We just think that you know, we're making the right decisions because this is how I feel. This is how I feel emotionally. This is how I think. This is my understanding. You know, or somebody else said, just, just kind of set out the pros and the cons of each decision making. You know, like, and, and yet Jeremiah says, it's the Lord who searches the heart. He examines the mind. He rewards a person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. So God is really interested in what happens when you and I feel about something, think about something, and act towards something, and do something. God evaluates the outcome of that. And that's what God is really interested in. And and so it starts with a thought. A thought always leads to an action. We don't realize how powerful thoughts really are. As a matter of fact, I would argue today that spiritual warfare is actually the, the thoughts that are coming to our minds or these messages that are coming to our minds and you and I have to handle what's being said to us and kind of filter through them and say, is this a good thought or is this a correct thought or is this going to you know, shape me in a, in a right or a wrong way? 
So the question I raise then is, so how do you and I make decisions if we're not to follow our hearts or fall? And, and I'm, when I'm using the word heart here, I'm using it in the Hebrew con- concept, which is, you know, the intellect, the emotions, and the will. It's the essence of our being. If I'm not to, you know, make a decision based on who I am, how do I make decisions? That's such a great question. And the Bible does give us an answer. First of all, it tells us that you and I need to surrender our hearts to God. Actually, Proverbs, which we're going to look at today, you know, the key idea there is give your heart to God. And actually, when you read the whole Bible, the same messaging comes all the way through. God says, just give me your heart. Surrender your life to me, and then begin to have your minds renewed by looking at how I see life. Let, in other words, God says, let me influence you. Because you see, everyone in this room is being influenced by someone. That's the nature of this sermon today. Who's influencing you? And really, you have to sit down and take a hard look. Who is influencing me? Is it the culture around me? Is it the people around me who are being influenced by the culture around me? Or am I being influenced by what God has to say? Is God the one that's influencing me? And how many know God's pretty smart? And God is actually the one that's the foundation and the pillar of truth And as you and I begin to focus in on what God has to say, and God has literally created us in His image, God knows right from wrong, God knows what's best over the whole course of human history, He knows what's best for each one of our lives, wouldn't it be wisdom on our part to actually listen to someone who's perfect? And that's God Himself. So if we're to trust God, how does God truly direct our steps? And the answer simply is that he gives us counsel from the word of God. And as you and I obey what God's word says, we're actually doing what God tells us to do. And that's why Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with with all your heart and what? Lean not on your own understanding. See, already he's negating just trusting in yourself. He goes on to say here in verse 6, uh, in all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight or make your path smooth. In other words, God is going to help give you the right course. As a matter of fact, think of it this way. There's only two pathways in life. You're either following God's path or you're following this broad path that's got all of these seemingly various options, but they're all leading to a broad road leading to actual destruction. Or you follow God's narrower path, And yet when I was reading this past week in the book of Revelation, do you know heaven has a broad road? (laughs) And there's going to be a lot of people there. So that's good news. But unfortunately, a lot of people, by the decisions they're making in earth, are not even going to get there because they're not following the right path. They're leading to this destructive pathway, making harmful decisions in their life. He says, don't be wise in your own eyes. It says, rather fear the Lord and shun evil. In other words, avoid evil. So the question I raise is, will we allow God and his word to influence us, or will we look to ourselves and be swayed by popular culture to shape our desires and direction? That's really the question I'm raising today, and we have to kind of answer that question. And we answer it not by, oh yeah, I'll just do what God says. No, it's answered by, will I apply what God is saying into my life? Will I actually do it? You know, because a lot of times we're, we're really good at saying, I have this information, I have an understanding, I agree with it, but then I don't do what I understand. You know, there's a difference. There's a gulf between knowledge and application. Big gulf. So as we look at Proverbs 25, what we're going to discover here is that there's really two paths to walk on. Of course, I've been trying to get across that idea all along here through Proverbs. But here in chapter 25, we need to make some good choices in who we're letting influence us. That's the point of the sermon. As a matter of fact, it says here in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20, he says, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. So when you look at the word wisdom, it's not like you're talking about people who are really smart. That's not what it's getting across. Wise people, biblically speaking or proverbial speaking, are those who fear God. Walk with people who fear God. Walk with the people who know God. Walk with the people, associate with those kind of people who have the value system that God is espousing, that God is communicating to us. It says the righteous choose their friends carefully. You know, isn't it, isn't it interesting? It's actually telling us to be quite discriminate, making discrimination. We have to discriminate 
not, not that we don't associate with a lot of people. I think we can associate with everybody. I think we need to be inclusive and include people into our lives. But I think when we get to our closest associates, we need to discriminate and decide who are the people that I want to allow to speak into my life? Who are the people that I want to allow to influence me? And I think we have to make good choices there. And I'm going to give you what I, what I have done in my own personal life. I want to be around people who make me want to be a better person. I want to have those kind of people as associates that when, I, when I'm around them, they challenge me to be a better person. Isn't that great? Those are the kind of people you want to be around because they're just challenging you by their lifestyle to become a better person. There's something about the way they live, the way they, maybe they're generous, they're kind, they're understanding, they're forgiving, they have these beautiful attributes. And when you're around them, you just feel like you're in the presence of God. Those people challenge you to become more godly. Those are the kind of people you want to associate with. So in this wisdom literature, we have some powerful insights in the value of determining what or who is influencing our lives. And how many recognize that leaders tend to have undue influence on followers? Isn't that true? That's the nature of leadership. And so we're going to begin chapter 25 looking at some verses that deal with, you know, the leader and how leaders influence people, but how the leaders are also influenced by the people they associate with as well. Are they going to get around them good leaders or godly leaders or godly people so that they can be influenced in the right way, not in a wrong way? And I've kind of grouped these 28 Proverbs. We're not going to look at every last one of them, but I've grouped them into three groupings. And I've basically talked about, um, you know, elements that shape and influence human behavior. Because I think it's important we need to understand what's shaping us, what's influencing us, how is this affecting us. If we're going to live a prosperous new year, if we're going to live a successful new year, if we're going to live a new year where we grow as a person, how many recognize we better identify what's shaping our lives, what's influencing us? So let's take a look at these three areas, the three key areas of human dynamics in influencing human relationships. And here's number one, the willingness to learn. In other words, we have to be open to being learners. You know, now I've already argued just at the introduction here that we are, as a culture, becoming more closed-minded. We are not more open-minded, folks. We are becoming far more closed-minded. So how can we open up so that we can actually listen to other points of view? That doesn't mean I have to agree with them, but I need to be more open to hearing from other people, and I need to be open to learn, and especially I need to choose who I'm going to learn from. That's the most important thing. I think there's times I need to be instructed. Actually, I think I should always be in that mode where I'm in an instructed mode. In other words, I have a teachable spirit. I have a willingness to learn. I'm open to learning. I'm trying to learn. I realize I don't understand everything. I don't know it all. I still have room for improvement. How many here recognize that between yourself and God, there's a bit of a gulf? Does anybody recognize that? Between you, because you and I are not exactly like God. How many say that's probably true? How many say that there's probably a little short, a distance between you and Jesus? You, there's probably areas that you could improve this year and become a little more like Jesus. Anybody think that that might be true? Every hand should be up. I think that's true of all of us. So that we should say, yes, there's areas that I need to work on. I need to grow in. I need to improve in. And so here in chapter 25, we see the list of Proverbs that says that were compiled by uh, probably people in the King Hezekiah's days, which was hundreds of years later. They're still compiling Proverbs from Solomon. And so in verses 25, 2 to 5, we have verses dealing with the issue of good leadership and its influence. <clears throat> Look at verse 2. It says here, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, to search out a matter is the glory of kings. As the heavens are high and the earth is deep, so the hearts of kings are unsearchable. So I sat down and I looked at this and I go, well, what's he trying to say here? How many think that's a good question to ask? What does this mean? And I like what Richard Clifford says. He said, we need to have some important cultural clues. How many know that this was written a long time ago? And we probably aren't living in that culture. So let's take a time travel back to that time and understand what were the cultural clues in the ancient Near Eastern world. And he says this, God and king were closely related in the ancient Near East and in the Bible. 
In some creation accounts, this is not just a biblical one. We're, we're also talking about others like, you know, the Samaritans and the Egyptians, different accounts of creation. The king was created to organize the human race to serve the gods. In other words, the leader's responsibility was to help people know God. Interesting. I want you to hang on to that thought. That's an important thought. And I'll tell you why. Because you see, in the book of Revelation, it calls you and I kings and priests. So all of us in this room, we have a leadership role. If you're a parent, you're a leader. If you uh, are influencing people in one sense, in that relationship, you are a leader. So how many can see that one of our responsibilities is to help people get to know God? As a matter of fact, Jesus commissions his disciples to go out and make disciples, helping people to get to know God. So we have a responsibility in a leadership capacity to help people get to know God. He goes on to say, to fulfill his tasks, he was endowed with wisdom. How many like that? As a matter of fact, uh, in Proverbs one of the aspects of wisdom is real practical. It's the ability to know what to do. It's the, it's the ability to govern people. That's, that's actually a, a skill that wisdom creates for you. The ability to oversee people. The ability to lead others. Pretty powerful. He goes on to say, God's world is full of conundrums, which means difficult things to understand, and puzzles beyond the capacity of ordinary people. But the king is there to unravel them and lead people to serve the gods or God. Okay. In contemporary English version, verse 2 reads this way. God is praised for being mysterious, and the rulers are praised for explaining mysteries. How many know that there's a lot of things we don't know? Have we figured that out yet? And you know, I'm going to say this, even the brightest people, even if we've lived, you know, for thousands of years in human family, we haven't figured out all the answers yet. We're not God. We don't have all the answers. We know that's true, right? So for humble, a humble person realizes what they don't know. A proud person thinks they knows everything. Hey, there's a lot of stuff we don't know. And basically, when we acknowledge that we are looking to God and trusting in God, we're basically saying, you know, God knows a lot of stuff we don't. And I'm happy with that. I'm happy because I know God is a good person, and he created us, and he loves us, and he cares about us. And, you know, he's telling us, hey, I want you to start learning so you can explain some of these mysteries that God knows about. Tremper Longman says, in both cases here, God and king are honored and held in high respect, though clearly the hierarchy is God first, next the king, and then the rest of humanity. Now, I like what Richard Clifford adds and sets this equation, I think, in his proper setting. It says, though it might seem that the king is being exalted to an unquestioned status, the next saying, and others in the book as well, make it clear, that the king, like any other human being, is bound to practice justice. In other words, just like every other person, we're all called to do the right thing, right? So even if you're in a leadership role, because you're a leader doesn't put you above the law. It doesn't put you above God, and that doesn't put you in a position that you can do anything you want. One rule applies to you, and the other rules applies to everybody else. That's arrogancy. And we see that sometimes, that rulers get like that or leaders get like that where they feel like the rules don't apply to them anymore. That's a very unhealthy place to get to. And we're warned against getting into that mindset. So we see here that leaders have a responsibility to do what is right. That those in authority should not abuse their positions, but rather use their office to enrich and nourish the lives of people that they're, they're leading. Isn't that true? That's my job. My job is to serve you. My job is to enrich your life. My job is to bless you. That's what I'm called to do by God. That's my calling, to help you, to develop you. You see, I'm passionate about that. I believe that's what God's asked me to do. And that's true. If I'm a father to my daughters, I want to enrich their lives. How many parents here, you want to do the best you can by your kids to help build them up and enrich their lives? Of course. You see, that comes from God. That's part of the heart of the father. The ability to listen to the right people is actually critical in order to bring about the right direction in our lives. In the previous chapter of Proverbs, we were admonished to obey those in authority over us. Look at Proverbs 24, 21. It says, Fear the Lord and the King, my son, and do not join with rebellious officials. For those two will send sudden destruction on them, and who knows what calamities they can bring. Now, what is he saying here? He's saying that both God and king are not to be trifled with. They have authority. And you know what? If you start rebelling, you may suffer terrible consequences. 
Now, how do I apply that in life? Well, here's what I'm going to say to us, that you know what? God's the one that creates authorities. How many know that's true? And when somebody's put in a position of authority, we're to obey them. Now, how many know that, that we bristle with that in this culture today? We're, we have, we're anti-authority culture. How many say that's true? We really bristle with that. But I think why we're bristling with it is because we don't want to really submit to God, who's the ultimate authority. And that's why we even deny that God even exists, you know? A lot of people do that because they don't want to be answerable to anybody. And I think we're seeing this in the culture today that a lot of people are doing their own thing. And I, I think that one of the things we have to understand, I just wrote this little paragraph down, when we rebel against the established authority, what we're really doing is undermining the stability of society. That's a powerful thought. You know, anarchy is a greater danger and creates greater evil than even wicked kings. How can you make the statement, Pastor? Well, I've read the Bible. You know, when I read the Bible, not all the kings are good. How many have noticed that reading through the Old Testament? There's a lot of bad kings in there, you know? And then I read things like in Romans chapter 13, it says we have to submit to those who are in authority. And Paul writes that in Romans. And you know, the, 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 the emperor at that time is Nero, and that guy's crazy, you know? So we have to understand something. God's the one that's setting these authorities in play. Can you imagine if everybody says, listen, I'm not going to listen to anybody in authority. If I think they're wrong, I'm just going to disobey them. You know that's what's happening right now? And you know what it's going to do? It's going to create anarchy. And every time you have anarchy, you've got everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. How many have ever read the book of Judges? Anybody read that book in the Bible, the book of Judges? You know what the theme of the book of Judges is? And every, there was no king in the land, and every man did that which is right in their own eyes. And what you have is the grossest of evil because you have anarchy. And any time you have anarchy, you have more evil than even when you have evil people in leadership. Okay. I think we have to guard against having a rebellious heart as we find ourselves not just fighting against a human leader, but ultimately against God himself. Yet having said that warning, here's the next part we have to counter. Here's the counterbalance to that. How many know if I just took that to an extreme, you're going to get in trouble? Here's the counterbalance. So what's the counterbalance to all of that, Pastor? Simply this. Leaders must ensure that they're surrounding themselves with wise counselors or they will become arrogant, and the results will be injustice towards those they're leading. Look at what Proverbs 25, 4 says. Remove the dross from the silver, and a silversmith can produce a vessel. Remove wicked officials from the king's presence, and his throne will be established through righteousness. And what is he saying? He's saying, if you remove the people that are evil in the council of the leader, in other words, who's influencing the leader? If you have wicked people there, you're going to have... An, a, a realm of unrighteousness. But if you remove the people there who are unrighteous, then you're going to have a greater and put righteous people there. You're going to have a righteousness flowing in that situation. Otherwise, they're going to do the right thing. And that's what you want. You want people to do the right thing. And let me give you, uh, well, let me just say this. Dr. Longman points out Proverbs operates with the concern that people will become like those whom they associate associate with, which is found in chapter 1, verses 8 through 19. Here the stakes are high because the person in view is the king, the most influential person in the kingdom. And I've already said it. Who influences the king influences the kingdom for good or for bad. And I think a real stark example of this is found in the Old Testament when the nation of Judah is on the verge of collapse. The last king of Judah is a man by the name of Zedekiah. You read that in 2 Chronicles. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, you know, he's actually been, you know, Babylon has already come in and conquered and set up this puppet state. Look what it says here. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem three months and 10 days. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is a theological book. It's always giving you a, his theological understanding. This guy didn't do the right thing. In the spring, King Nebuchadnezzar sent for him, brought him to Babylon, together with the articles of value from the temple of the Lord, and he made Jehoiachin's uncle Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. So what did he do? He set up a puppet king, right? This is a vassal kingdom. Now, God had been telling Israel, you've been rebelling against me. I told you I was going to do this. Now you're no longer able to, you know, be a self-governing person. Now I'm, I'm going to bring a foreign domination over you. Instead of being the head, you're now the tail, okay? It's all the curses you found in the book of Deuteronomy now happening to the nation because they rebelled against God. But then he says, um, but then what happens? 
Zedekiah decides after an 11-year reign, probably in the ninth year, he decides to rebel against his, his uh, overlord, Nebuchadnezzar. And he has all of these people telling him to do it. He's got prophets. Oh, by the way, you know, when you read the Bible, there's more false prophets than true prophets. And they're telling him, hey, you know, God's with you. It's all going to turn out good. Yeah, you know, look what happened. God, God can destroy people. In the reign of King Hezekiah, for example, God destroyed the armies of the Assyrians that surrounded the city. So, you know, the people in Israel believed that God was able to deliver them from their enemies. They had no problem with that. And so he had all these beautiful prophecies. Peace is going to come. God's going to deliver. He's going to restore the kingdom. How many like hearing good news? Everybody want to hear good news? You know, and so often we love hearing people tell us everything's going to turn out all right. We don't want to hear it when people say things to us like, if you don't straighten out, you're going to get zapped. Nobody wants to hear that message. How many know that's the truth? And yet, if we're doing the wrong thing, isn't it kind of a blessing that someone says, hey, if you don't smarten up, you're going to get hurt? Isn't that the more loving thing to do? Or meanwhile, somebody comes along and says, hey, man, you're great. Just keep doing what you're doing, right? Well, you're going to get destroyed, you know? But how many times we want to hear the right words, you know, just tickle my ears. Tell me what I want to hear, right? Well, this is what's going on. King Zedekiah is hearing all these advice from all these people that, you know, forget giving money to Babylon, you know, you, you got to, you know, God's for you, just go for it. But there's always God's true prophet. Here's Jeremiah. Jeremiah says this in chapter 38. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, because Zedekiah asked him, he said, well, what does God have to say about this? That's a good thing to do is ask what God says. This is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel says, if you surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, your life will be spared and the city will not be burned down and you and your family will live because he had already now rebelled. But if you will not surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians and they'll burn it down. You yourself will not escape from them. Oh, that's not, how many go? That's not an exciting word. Verse 19, King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I'm afraid of the Jews who have gone over to the Babylonians for the Babylonians may hand me over to them and they'll mistreat me. Here's the reason why I don't want to do this. You know, I don't want to listen to what you're saying because I'm afraid. How many know a lot of times we choose not to do what God wants because we're afraid? Do you see why God says, be not afraid? Do you see why God says, take courage, do the right thing? Don't be discouraged, obey God, even though it takes courage. How many know it takes courage to do the right thing? Does anybody know that? It takes a courageous person. God tells us, be courageous, do the right thing. So Proverbs tell, warns us, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Who is influencing you? Here we see this pivotal episode in the life of Zedekiah. And we see God's word and the counsel and advice of the king's friends are in conflict with what God has to say. Now, notice how Jeremiah assures the king that trusting in God will keep him safe and spare the city of destruction. So, you know, life and death are often determined by the people who are shaping our lives. Now you have to understand why I'm sharing this sermon. The people around you are helping shape your destiny. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Who's influencing you? Think about what Jeremiah says. They're not going to hand you over. Obey the Lord. Do what I tell you. Just do the right thing. It'll go well with you, and your life will be spared. How many go, that's so obvious, just do the right thing, right? How many know we don't always do the right thing, though? <laughs> he goes on to say to him, but if you refuse to surrender, this is what the Lord has revealed to me. All the women left in the palace of the king of Judah will be brought out to the officials of the king of Babylon. Those women will say to you that they misled you and overcame you. These trusted friends of yours, your feet are stuck in the mud. Your friends have deserted you. How many know that if you're going good, you have a lot of friends, but when your life turns bad, you, you start finding out who your real friends were? Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Here these guys are saying, yeah, do this, 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 and that, but when it turns out to be bad, they're gone. That's the way it works. We need to understand something. Jeremiah is saying, look, just do what God tells you to do. It's going to work out. So who are we learning from? Who are the people that you're letting speak into your life? Who's influencing you? Let me move on to the second area of human dynamics that influence us. That's the issue of character. Character is what we are. This is being shaped within and is always being expressed outwardly. There are many qualities that reveal the type of person that we are or type of character that we are. And I think that the development of character takes patience and restraint. It's the work of God. How many know this culture is not noted for its patience? You know, we are in a microwave 
culture where God is in this crockpot character development motif. You know, I'm just pointing this out to you. Now, how many know, I've actually, I used to cook, so I know a little bit about slow cooking and fast cooking. I can cook very fast, but you know when you cook slow, everything tastes better. Do you know that? You just, it, it takes time for food to assimilate all the different spices and stuff like that. It just takes time. For God to develop us into his people, that's just not going to happen over here. You just can't, oh, I'm, you know, see, we're so used to trying to master things so quickly, but it's a lifetime to develop into the character of Christ. So we need to shift from the power of personalities influencing us to the power and practices or behavior that's an outgrowth of God's work in our innermost being. So what really does shape the human heart? Well, God's Spirit activating His Word not only instructs us, but it empowers us. This will help guide us in how we go about our tasks and how we're going to relate to other people. And here in this chapter, I've noticed there's three areas that He wants to develop in our character. And they both they require self-restraint. And uh, how many go, that's, that's, you're telling me I've got to, you know, restrain myself. I've got to be patient. I've got to be gentle. I, uh, so what, what are the areas that we have to show restraint in? He gives us three, self-promotion, litigation, and gossip. I, most of us, we don't hear much on these topics, but Proverbs talks about them, so I'm going to talk about them. Look what it says here in Proverbs 25, 6. It says, do not exalt yourself in the king's presence, and do not claim a place among his great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. What you have seen with your eyes, do not bring hastily to court, for what will you do in the end if your neighbor puts you to shame? So the first one is no self-promotion. Second one now is just because you see something doesn't mean you understand what you see. How many have ever had an experience in life where you saw something and totally misread the situation? And you just went to it, you snapped to a conclusion, and you know what? You were wrong. It's just saying, be careful before you start firing on all cylinders and blabbing off and running off and saying things and doing things because you could be totally out to lunch. You know, a lot of us, we do very little job of really investigating and really understanding what's really going on. And, you know, a lot of times we're really quick to criticize people doing the actual work. You know, I'm going to tell you why we do that, because most of us are doing nothing. We're just a bunch of spectators. We can do that. We can become spectators, and we're all, we're, all, we're all great at making assessments. Try doing it. It's a lot harder. How many have discovered doing things is harder than knowing about things? Big difference. So I'll just say it to you this way. Before you start telling the, the, the prime minister how to run the country, if you've never run a country, you probably know a little bit. Of, you probably know very little about doing it. It's a lot harder than you think, trying to get everybody to work together. No matter, and you know, like being the premier right now, man, no matter what he does, it's wrong for somebody. It's true. It's the way it works. I'm just telling you, being a leader, everybody has an idea what you should be doing, but you can't do everything everybody wants because you'd be doing the opposite. You got people all over the map. I'm just telling you, it's a lot harder than you realize, you know? He says here, if you take your neighbor to court, do not betray another's confidence. This is where I get the idea of gossiping. Because the only way you're doing this is you found out information. The moment you find out information in secret, you're passing it on to someone else. That's called gossip. To the one who hears it may shame you, and the charge against you will stand. In other words, they may tell you something, but later on they're not willing to stand up and say that what they said to you. You may be standing all by yourself. So, Here's what we're taught in our culture. We're taught to assert ourselves and put ourselves forward. Isn't that true? That's, that's the latest how to get ahead in life. You know, you want all those self-help books? Here's the, put yourself forward. Assert yourself. However, here we see that we're not to exalt ourselves in the presence of others. So pastor, you know, if I'm not to promote myself, how in the world am I ever going to get anywhere? I'm so glad you asked that question because I have an answer for that. You know, are you waiting for this answer? Here it comes. The, the, way, the way, actually, we have to trust God rather than ourselves. The way of trusting in ourselves, and when we self-promote, we're actually trusting ourselves. You know, how many know God can get you to where you need to go? Does anybody believe that? Can God get you to where you need to go? Okay, here's David. 
He's on the back 40, working with the sheep. He's got eight, seven older brothers. And when Samuel comes along to anoint him king, what happens? His dad does not see David as a potential leader and leaves him taking care of the sheep. The only boys that are coming in front of Samuel are these seven other guys. Isn't that true? And at the end of it, you know, Samuel is standing there and, and he says to Jesse, the father, he goes, the first one he thought was the king. God says, you're looking at the outside. I see the heart. God goes, none of these guys are the next king. So, so Samuel says to Jesse, do you have any other sons? Oh, yeah, 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 I have one. The runt of the litter. You can't mean him. You see, the dad did not perceive that David could ever be someone in a leadership position. And I, see, that's what happens with us. Even though other people don't believe in you, if God believes in you and God is calling you, you don't even have to worry about other people moving into the front of the pile. God will get you there. But that takes faith, pastor. Right. It takes faith. It means i got to trust God and not myself. And actually, Jesus quotes these Proverbs and warns us against promoting ourselves, right? As a matter of fact, listen, Peter, you know, Peter was a leader. But look what he says later on, a much mature leader. He says in 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Do you know sometimes... God wants to lift you up, but you're not quite ready yet. And you know, as a leader, you don't know this, but I'm always watching people. And if you put people in too soon, you destroy them. You can ruin people. You can move people up too fast and wreck them. Sometimes it's better just to let them operate for a while and watch what they're doing and watch if they're going to be, number one, are they going to be faithful? Now, how many of you know that faithfulness takes time? You have to watch people faithfully do things. And after a while, you see this person. They don't have an ax to grind. They don't have an agenda. They're just faithful. They're loving. They're serving. You go, you know what? I'm looking around, and I need something done. There's that faithful person. I'm going to go talk to them. You see, God will get you there. Isn't that beautiful? We're so in a hurry in this culture. I'm telling you, you've got to develop a new mindset. Kick the microwave out of your thinking and put the crock pot in your head. This is going to be a process that's going to take some restraint and time in development. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 25.9 warns us not to be hasty in bringing others into court, which is another way of saying, you know, don't even speak about other people or other situations. As a matter of fact, I would even, you know, I've learned over the years, sometimes when you see something and you think it's one way, instead of saying anything, just ask questions and you'll find out maybe you didn't see it right. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Ask questions. Harry Ironside, a preacher from another generation, takes this text and says, much trouble and mischief might be avoided if people were careful to keep their differences to themselves in place of spreading abroad information as to shameful quarrels. And he's basically applying Matthew 18, where you're supposed to go to that person and talk to them. It's a good advice. Jesus gave us that advice. He says, go directly to one with whom there is a danger of a quarrel and debate the matter in a gracious spirit with that person in secret, carefully keeping the matter from sharp ears and prying eyes. This is what the proverb commends. And then just go talk to that person. You know, a lot of times we have a little issue, and what do we do? We go tell somebody else. And we, then we triangulate, and the problem gets worse. And then we realize that this proverb is saying that a lot of times if we take things to court, and this is so interesting because, you know, uh, Barry Hamilton is, you know, an attorney, and he's a part of our church. He's an elder, and I've known Barry for years. And he always, it's interesting how often people are unhappy with the way the rulings happen in a court of law. It doesn't work out exactly the way they want it to. How many know that's true? So th it doesn't always turn out the way you think it will. As a matter of fact, I've discovered something about life. Life doesn't always turn out the way you think it will. Anybody figured that out yet? So I think we need to learn how to restrain what we're going to say. Let me move on to the third area. I'm getting there. For some reason, I'm going to change the battery before the second service here. Is the mastery of our words. How many know we got to master what we say? 
What I mean here is the spirit, the tone, the attitudes, and the words that we share with other people, because that influences people. When our hearts are right, our words are healthy, inspiring, encouraging, instructive, and even corrective. But when our hearts are wrong, they can become easily offended, angry, critical, hostile, and abusive. Isn't that true? You see, what you and I need to understand is the words, we're, how we say it, the words we say are coming from who we are. It's coming from the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus says, the mouth speaks. Proverbs 16, 23 says, the heart of the wise make their mouths prudent. Do you know what the word prudent means? Forethought. In other words, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say before I say it. And I'm thinking about the results of these words. How many think that might be important? Because I know a lot of times we just blurt things out and all of a sudden we're eating our words or worse yet, we're damaging the person we're supposedly caring about. A lot of marriages have problems right here. We need to make our hearts prudent and their lips promote instruction. James tells us in his letter, he points out that the person who control their mouths are perfect. They're blameless. Matter of fact, in James 3, 2, it says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. He says, it's like the rudder of a ship. How many know the big ships are controlled by the rudder? You know, that little part that determines the direction in which you're going. That's the power of our mouths. How many think that's pretty powerful? So if we can control our mouth, we can control our whole body. Hmm. Listen to what Jesus says to uh, the Pharisees, because these guys were really rattling on. And, and you know, Jesus sometimes was a little bit, anybody know he was, could be strong at times? Here's a corrective word from Jesus to the Pharisees. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. He says, a good man brings um, good things out of the good stored in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So whatever is in you is going to come out eventually. True? That's what Jesus is saying. He says, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. I'm accountable to what I'm saying. Have you ever thought about that? You know, the other day, Patty shows me this little video. She likes looking on things. And here was a guy trying to instruct two girls about bullying and the words they were using. So he had them get a piece of wood, and he had all these words that they had said to these people. Then he had them take a nail, and he hammered the top of the nail down, not all the way, just a little bit into the wood. And he had them hammer all these, word, all these nails in, where all these words were. Then he said, I want you to say I'm sorry to all the words you said. So they pulled the nail out. You could do it by hand. They didn't hand it very far. I'm sorry for that word. I'm sorry for this word. I'm sorry for that word. And at the end of it, he said, now take a look at the wood. He said, you're sorry for all the words that you've said, but take a look. What's, what does the wood look like now? They were indented. Every word you and I say scars people, leaves an indentation in their life. Now, our words can be used for good. We can actually lift people up. We can encourage people. We can strengthen people. We can bless people with our words. Or we can tear them down. We can rip them apart. We can diminish them as human beings just by the words of our mouths. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? What a powerful instrument for good or for evil. The power of the tongue has life and death. Let me just close this with this chapter with a number of Proverbs that address the issue of words and their impact on other people. I'll give them to you. The value of a rebuke from a wise person, like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold. This is, that's a value. Is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. I think we need to understand something. It's important that we listen to correction. You know, God spoke to Cain. I was reading this yesterday. Remember Cain and Abel? What did God say to Cain? He said, I'm not accepting your offering because sin is lying at your door. And Cain, I want, it's looking to dominate you. I want you to master that sin in your life. What was the sin? He was envious and jealous of his brother. But because Cain did not address that sin issue in his life, he ended up doing what? He killed his brother. Folks, can I tell you something? We're responsible for what's in our heart. We are responsible for that. If somebody says to us, hey, listen, there's an error in your life, and this is actually going to take you out. 
That's a service, a good service to us. We should listen to that. That's a valuable thing that somebody has the courage and the grace. They don't have to say it in a mean way, but in a gracious way. They can help us. The, the refreshing nature of wise words, like a snow-cooled drink at harvest time, like an ice-cold drink, right, is a trustworthy message to the one who sends him. He refreshes the spirit of his master. That's back in the day when you didn't have all the communication devices. You had to send somebody to tell somebody else you know, what you meant when you're sending them far away. If you send the wrong person, they're going to really mess up your message. The power of persuasive speech is often expressed by gentleness and patience. I love this. It says, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Now, usually, what do we tend to do in this culture when we want to get our points across? We threaten, volume intensity goes up, anger is going to be a tool used to manipulate other people. Isn't that what we're getting a lot of today? Can I just tell you, that's the way the world operates. You just scream louder to be heard. Can I just tell you, listen to what it says here, patience and gentleness. You want to persuade people? Those are the vehicles that you need to have in your life. The painful and often deadly experiences of false testimony and relying on unfaithful people. So it's like a club or sword or sharp arrow is one who gives false testimony against the neighbor. Like a broken tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in the time of trouble. That's painful, isn't it? And it's deadly. And that's why gossip and lying are weapons of destruction and destroy people. That's why we got to be careful, the words we're using, and finally the right or wise response to those who wound us. Hey, it's going to happen. How many here can say, I have had moments in my life where I've been wounded? Anybody here could say that? So how are you going to handle that? If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. You know, the apostle Paul actually takes out Proverbs and he applies it. He quotes that in Romans chapter 12. And then he concludes, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What do you do? You forgive people and you do good to them. That's the right response when you've been treated poorly. So who's influencing our decisions? The cultural values that are pressing in and telling us to stand up and assert our rights Or are we taking our cues from God's word and faithfully putting into practice these truths into our lives? Have we surrendered our lives to God and do we have a teachable spirit? How is practicing God's word affecting my attitude and my actions? And what is coming out of my mouth? Our mouths. We only discover the true condition of our heart when pressured by challenging situations and difficult people. Isn't that true? That's when you know where you're really at. Put a little pressure on, you'll find out where you're really at. Some of you go, I don't like pressure, Pastor. I don't do good under pressure. No, what you're telling me is you, got, you need some heart work. That's all you're telling me. Because pressure brings out what's in you. Let's stand. <clears throat> Anybody got some work to do? I got my hand up. So in 2021, you know, instead of worrying about COVID and what the prime minister or the premier is doing, maybe we got to say, God, I got some work to do to grow up as a person. What do you think? Anybody? I'm just telling you, just work on you. And you get it right in your soul. And you're going to be a leader that's going to influence people for good. Can you see that? How many see that you're actually called to leadership? You're actually called to bring people to God. But you and I are going to mess that up if we don't get it right inside of us. Can we see that? We've got to get that right. So let's ask God to help us. So Father, I just ask today that you would work in our hearts to get this right in our lives. May 2021 be a year of amazing spiritual development and growth in each of our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name. God bless you as you leave this morning.